Good evening. It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendonça, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Joyce Miller will return on Monday. Today on the California Report, a battle continues over the ownership of a historic theater in Fresno and how the change in ownership could change the culture in the city's downtown district. Then, after regional news and weather, Al Stoller talks about the equinox and how the tilt of the earth influences what regions feel the sun most strongly. We'll close tonight with a commentary from Norris Burks. For their support, KVMR would like to thank Dignity Health Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, delivering cardiovascular care and wellness with a team of specialists dedicated to prevention education from diagnosis to treatment and rehabilitation. More information online at dignityhealth.org slash Sierra Nevada. Here are tonight's NPR news headlines. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Biden administration is marking equal pay day with a series of events at the White House. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports today's date symbolizes how far into the year women have to work to earn the same as men did the previous year. At an event with members of the U.S. women's soccer team, President Biden said the pay gap between men and women is real in almost every profession. 82 cents on the dollar on average. For AAPI women, it's 87 cents for every dollar a white man earns. For black women, it's 63 cents. For Native American women, it's 60 cents. The U.S. women's soccer team filed a lawsuit against the sport last year, alleging discrimination on the basis of sex by denying them the same working conditions, including pay, as their male counterparts. Fans backed them up, shouting equal pay during the World Cup final match, which the U.S. women... One. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta says U.S. counties with larger minority populations were harder hit by COVID-19 earlier in 2020. Remember station WABE in Atlanta, Sam Whitehead has more in a new report that highlights evidence of the racial and ethnic disparities of the pandemic. CDC researchers found higher rates of coronavirus infection in counties with larger minority populations during three periods in 2020. As time went on and COVID-19 became more widespread, those disparities decreased. Researchers say pandemic prevention measures should be tailored to communities of color and that improving health equity should remain a long-term priority. Reporter Sam Whitehead in Atlanta. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has met European Union leaders after spending most of two days consulting with NATO allies. Terry Schultz reports one of Blinken's top aims is to convince European governments to scale back their ties with China. Secretary Blinken is taking a much different approach to Europe's relationship with China than his predecessor Mike Pompeo did. Speaking at NATO, Blinken said the U.S. would not issue ultimatums about choosing a side and understands its European allies have complex relationships with Beijing. But he urged them to think twice about partnering with China. It is actively working to undercut the rules of the international system and the values we and our allies share. After a meeting with EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell, the two announced they will restate 
restart an initiative originally agreed to by Pompeo to hold regular high-level talks aimed at coordinating China policy. For NPR News, I'm Terry Schultz in Brussels. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she believes the U.S. government has more room to borrow despite the massive amount of money already spent on coronavirus relief measures. Yellen appearing before the Senate Banking Committee as the Biden administration considers up to $3 trillion in additional spending. On Wall Street, the Dow was down three points. The Nasdaq fell 265 points. This is NPR. Federal wildlife officials say the number of bald eagles in the U.S. has more than quadrupled over the last dozen years. NPR's Nathan Rott reports it's a remarkable turnaround for the once-imperiled species, but it comes amidst a bigger extinction crisis. Bald eagles were put on the endangered species list in the late 1960s, when there were just a few hundred mating pairs left in all of the lower 48 U.S. states. Habitat loss and pollution like DDT had caused populations to plummet. Bans of those chemicals and massive conservation efforts have since improved populations. And now federal wildlife officials say there are more than 70,000 nesting pairs in the lower 48. The new figures are a bright spot on an otherwise troubling picture for American birds. A recent study found that bird populations overall have dropped by a third in the U.S. in just the last 50 years. Nathan Rott, NPR News. Officials say Maine's lobster catch dipped slightly last year as fishermen dealt with the coronavirus pandemic, but the final totals were better than many had anticipated. Maine Department of Marine Resources today said fishermen caught more than 96 million pounds of lobster in 2020, broke a string of nine consecutive years in which harvesters brought in at least 100 million pounds of lobster to the docks. Members of the industry feared at the outset of the pandemic it would be difficult to equal previous year's hauls because of the toll of the virus on the economy and the workforce. Crude oil futures prices closed higher today, oil up $3.42 a barrel, ending the session at 61.18 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. That's the sound of protesters in L.A.'s Echo Park neighborhood this morning. They're gathering to voice their opposition to the planned dismantlement of a growing homeless encampment around the city's Echo Park Reservoir. That's become a flashpoint in L.A.'s wider debate over homeless policy. The city says it will do everything possible to relocate homeless individuals who are moved from the area to temporary shelters and motels. Critics say authorities can't find a place for everyone, and some homeless people feel safer camping by the reservoir. Turning to the pandemic, cases of COVID in California's nursing homes are down 98% since the winter surge. But after a year of outbreaks, life inside these facilities has changed, perhaps permanently. KQED's Molly Peterson reports. A year ago, Bethany Murray was on a call with nursing home managers on the East Coast. Their warning was stark. The virus will sneak into your building and will threaten your residents. Murray is now the administrator of Cedar Crest Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Sunnyvale. And the bad outbreak there came early. So I can remember one time walking down the hallway and watching four or five nurses within the span of two to three minutes get a call from the county that they were positive. They had to leave. They had to walk out. 
Even before the pandemic, there was a lot of turnover in nursing home staff, and suddenly it was much harder to find people to do the work. State officials loosened work rules to try to help, and Murray offered hazard pay. One of our doctors was pushing beds as we did a room change, and I'm you know, unclogging toilets and where we had a pipe break in the COVID unit and the plumbers wouldn't come. Then hospitals started discharging people more quickly, including those who needed post-operative care or rehab. These short-term residents take up about half the beds in Murray's nursing home. She says they require isolation and testing and usually more care and attention. It's a drain on resources that I don't think will go away until we as a larger community have kind of moved past COVID. Almost half a million nursing home residents in California have received one dose of vaccine. But many pandemic protocols, like isolating new residents and testing everyone frequently, haven't yet let up. And state rules now permit vaccinated residents to see visitors indoors. Even if we're 100 percent vaccinated, we're still going to have to follow these protocols. Well, one, until we're told not to, but also until we're reasonably confident that people coming in do not have COVID. And it's hard to say how long that's going to be. Nearly 13,000 Californians died from COVID in nursing homes, a smaller percentage of the state's total than the national average. Murray says she's optimistic Cedarcrest has learned enough for next time. I feel the desire to knock on wood. The hospitals are starting the process of vaccinating our residents before they even get to us. We've taken care of our staff. All of our long-term residents are vaccinated. We're starting to see that light. And Murray says if care homes are seeing the light, the rest of us can too. For the California Report, I'm Molly Peterson. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. In Fresno, a historic theater that's important to the city's arts community is at the center of a growing mini culture war in the city. That's because an evangelical church is buying the property. With more, here's Valley Public Radio's Sarith Hawk. The theater is a 1930s Art Deco venue that typically hosts concerts, comedians, Paula Poundstone was the last to perform before the pandemic, and a Gay Pride film festival. But now, the Tower Theater will likely have a new owner, Adventure Church, by the end of March. A Fresno County judge last week denied an injunction to stop the sale. The church has been fighting to purchase the theater since December. Community members against the sale, like Lydia Fortner, say the church doesn't belong. The Tower Theater is like the heart of our performing arts community, both physically and symbolically. So for that to change, it would change the heart of what this community is. For months, the Save the Tower Theater Demonstration Committee has been organizing Sunday protests, recently drawing counter-protests from members of the Proud Boys. Committee organizer Haley White says she's ready for what could be a long battle. If that means we're, we're out here on Sunday mornings two years from now, we will be because Tower is special enough that it deserves that fight. Adding to the debate, a Fresno police officer was seen protesting with the Proud Boys. He's been placed on leave. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk.
And finally this morning, what should a racial or ethnic group call itself? A new UC Berkeley survey has found that about 25% of U.S.-born Latinos in California now regularly use the term Latinx, and more than half of those polled are at least familiar with the word. Christina Mora is an associate professor of sociology and the co-director of Cal's Institute of Governmental Studies, which conducted the survey. She says young people use Latinx the most, but not exclusively. So it wasn't that Generation Z is using Latinx to replace Latino. In fact, they're often using Latino as well. And one way we sort of speculate is that they're probably using the term Latino when they're speaking to their family or about their family or in job setting and Latinx on social media or when they're talking to their peers. So they're becoming, if anything, more comfortable with the idea of just code switching. Mora also says the poll found that one's education does not play a role in who uses the word Latinx, but personal politics seem to. Very liberal Latinos reported they are twice as likely to adopt Latinx as very conservative Latinos are. Mora says historically the Latino community has not embraced any one label. Think Hispanic, Chicano, Latino. Latinx and the way it's used seems to fit in the same way. And that is the California Report for today, Wednesday, March 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can listen to the California Report podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts and hear our show any time of the day or night you want. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. In a meeting with local media partners, Nevada County's public health officer, Dr. Scott Kellerman, when asked what percentage of Nevada County citizens need to be vaccinated to reach population immunity, had this to say. Um, you got to have over 85% with measles, flu about 70%, so it's probably sitting somewhere between 70 to 85%. We're not sure exactly what the number is, but I mean, if we had 70% in this county, Yeah, celebration time. Nevada County officially entered into the red or substantial tier today. In the red tier, businesses such as restaurants, gyms, and movie theaters will be able to open their doors at a reduced capacity. Cliff Newell, in his fourth term as Nevada County District Attorney, announced today that he would retire from the position effective July 10th. It's a wrap. Newell said in a press release, quote, I had a list of goals that I wanted to accomplish. One by one, my exceptional staff and I addressed each challenge over the years. My work is complete. It's time for someone with a new list. A selection process will now begin with the Board of Supervisors appointing his replacement. Then the position will be up for election next year. According to the Union newspaper of Grass Valley, Assistant District Attorney Chris Walsh is saying he intends to apply for the position and run for the job in June 2022. Newell was elected as District Attorney in 2006, succeeding Mike Ferguson, who had served as District Attorney the previous 16 years. And in state news, Governor Gavin Newsom announced today that Assemblyman Rob Bonta will be California's next Attorney General, making him the state's top cop and the first Filipino to hold the office. That's according to the Sacramento Bee. 
Bonta, a Democrat from Alameda, will take the position following the departure of Javier Becerra, who last week was confirmed by the United States Senate to serve as Health and Human Services Secretary under President Joe Biden. Bonta's appointment is subject to confirmation by the state Senate and Assembly within 90 days. Newsom turned to Bonta after months of lobbying from advocacy groups who had urged him to choose an Asian-American leader such as Bonta or California Supreme Court Justice Goodwin Liu. In Bonta, Newsom selected a Democrat who has championed criminal justice reform throughout his career in the legislature. He's campaigned to end the cash bail system, curtail the use of private prisons, and limit the influence of law enforcement unions. And now, for local weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 37. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high near 54. In the Truckee and Lake Tahoe region, tonight a 20% chance of snow after 3 a.m., then mostly cloudy with a low around 24. On Thursday, a chance of snow mainly between 9 a.m. and noon, then a chance of snow showers afternoon becoming partly sunny with a high near 40. And in Woodland and Sacramento, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 45. Tomorrow should be sunny with a high near 66. The globe of the Earth on a teacher's desk never sits straight. It sits at a slant. The slant of the Earth dictates what part of our planet feels the sun's energy most strongly, which gives us our seasons. Al Stoller picks up the story. Our planet, planet Earth, is a juggler. Earth juggles water. Ocean water evaporates upward, then falls back down as rain. The wind in your hair. That's the Earth juggling air. Not just water and air. Earth juggles energy. We can feel the Earth juggling energy. Feel it as warmth coming off a rock sitting in the sun. Some of that energy heads right out into space. But some of that energy gets sucked up by greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, water vapor in the air, which send it back down again. You can feel that energy too. After a storm, a clear night cools down quickly, but a cloudy night with lots of water, droplets and vapor up there. A cloudy night sucks up heat and sends it back down, making cloudy nights sometimes downright balmy. A good juggler does not have to stand in one place. A good juggler can move around. The energy the earth is juggling comes from the sun, but the sun does not shine down the same everywhere. The tropics close to the equator get lots of sunshine. The tropics grow warm. It's in the tropics where Earth as a juggler gets most intense, tossing huge amounts of water vapor, huge amounts of warm air, huge amounts of energy up into the sky. Just a few months ago, the sun shone most directly down on the tropics south of the equator, and Earth's juggler followed the sun, followed the sun south, which meant the juggler could not toss warm air so far north, could not send energy so far north. We in the north enjoyed winter. But ever since late December, the sun's been moving north, and the juggler follows the sun. Just this weekend, 
the sun shone right down on the equator. Earth passed through its spring equinox, halfway between winter and summer, and the juggler was halfway between north and south. Nights in winter are long, but equinox, as came this weekend, equinox means equal night. Night and day this weekend were both the same length, and days will continue to grow longer. Something else is changing too, though it's a bit more subtle. Any night of the year, when the sun goes down, the sky does not go instantly dark. Between the brightness of day and the darkness of night, we have twilight. In the middle of winter and in the middle of summer, twilight lasts quite a while, but around the equinox, both spring and fall, twilight is short. The sun goes down and the sky quickly grows dark. If you have not already noticed that, check it out. Wishing you a pleasant evening. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. Next up, Norris Burks with a commentary. Hi, I'm Chaplain Norris Burks, and I'm going to be giving a bi-weekly commentary from a spiritual point of view that will tell stories about people and events that illustrate spirituality in everyday life. Now, I'm new to your station, but my observations are well-aged. I began writing a nationally syndicated column in 2001, so as the TV announcers like to say, you're now joining a program already in progress. You can catch up on my stories and columns on my website at thechaplain.net. You'll just need to know Chaplain isn't spelled like the actor. It's spelled C-H-A-P-L-A-I-N. But in the meantime, you might just want to know who this is behind this microphone. Yes, yes, I've got a B.A. in journalism and a B.A. in religion and a master's of divinity and a master's of fine arts and nonfiction writing. And I live in Lake of the Pines, but I've also lived in Texas, Florida, and Turkey. In those places, I've served as a Protestant Air Force chaplain, an interfaith hospital chaplain, and a pastor. Well, 10 years ago, I left my position as Sutter's chaplain for women and children. I wanted to expand on my freelance writing and get ready for a deployment with the California National Guard to Iraq. I retired early from the Air Force in 2015, and now I work for a local hospice group. Yet even as I say all of that, does that, does that, really, does that really describe who I am? I'm aware that, like you, I'm a contradiction of my parts. For instance, my parts are white, male, educated, ordained Southern Baptist, but that might well describe Jerry Falwell, short of the jowls, of course, Yet that still doesn't describe me. Religiously speaking, I consider myself a liberal evangelical. I I use the word evangelical because I believe the Bible is my guide for living, but I don't insist that it be an authority for others. Freedom of religion has got to include freedom from religion, and I honor that for you as well. My reading shelf tips on both ends. I read from the liberal Christian author Anne Lamont, as well as books by C.S. Lewis, but recently I've discovered books about the history of flight, cancer, the internet, and even malaria, the flu epidemic of 1917, and the invention of the wireless. I read all kinds of things. Athletically, I've completed two marathons while simultaneously learning to play golf. In sports, I'm mesmerized by football, the Tour de France, and the X Games, but baseball and poker... They just anesthetize me. Finally, when it comes to patriotism, I've been a citizen soldier. I've sworn to defend our flag, but like most soldiers, I'll defend your right to burn it or even to take a knee. Does knowing what a commentator believes, or any person for that matter, really tell you much? 
We may think it does, since as we tend to approach our relationships with spiritual questionnaires hoping to get a match, we get stuck by adding qualifiers to our relationships, such as religion, politics, race, and sexual orientation. We get wrapped up in the inconsequential by demanding to know someone's favorite rock group or whether they wear boxers or briefs or they go commando. But Jesus, you know, that guy in the Bible I mentioned, uh, he didn't really believe in questionnaires. He believed in keeping it simple. Just you got to love your neighbor as yourself. I saw that truth reinforced in the patient's father whom I met on a pediatric ward at Sutter Memorial Hospital in Sacramento. He began describing his beliefs in a miraculous healing for his daughter. I felt a bit awkward realizing that we didn't quite agree on a certain biblical interpretation. He noticed my uneasiness, and he threw his long hair over his tattooed-covered shoulder and said something like, Chaplain, I don't talk with you because of your opinion. I talk with you because I can tell you care. That shut me up. That said it all. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just care. Simple. That's the kind of story I hope to be sharing each week, as it illustrates not religion, but the spirituality I see in everyday life. As you hear these stories, some of you will likely be puzzled by them, judging them based on what you interpret as my politics or my religion. I may infuriate a few on the left who abhor my evangelical roots. I may exasperate those on the right by making room at the table for more people. But at the end of the commentary, I hope you will find the truth that I want carved on my tombstone. Few listeners ever cared how much he knew because they heard how much he cared. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast. If you want to hear it again, you can on our webpage, kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Would you like to share an opinion or an idea? We welcome your submission. Check out our commentary guidelines on our webpage under the News tab. Stay tuned for the Sages Among Us. Tonight, host Brian Buckley will interview Grass Valley Mayor Ben Aguilar. And then at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting your community radio station. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening. Thank <laughs> you.